the key thing I'm trying to work out here is how the Climate Commission sees population growth in its um, thinking about uh, what we need to do to reduce uh, various emissions and um, how much of a risk there is that population growth is much stronger than um, the official forecasts as they have been for the last 20 years or so. Right. So I think the first thing that is that from the Climate Change Commission's point of view, we took the official uh, demographic projection for New Zealand from, I think it's the Department of Statistics that are guardians of those long-range demographic forecasts. So we didn't do our own original research and forecasting for New Zealand's population. And if I recall correctly, the assumption is that New Zealand's population grows from the current 5 million to about 6 million by 2050. So that would have been the underlying assumption in what we call our demonstration path. Uh, roughly a 20% increase in New Zealand's population over the period from 2020 to 2050. So in the last um, 20 years, those official forecasts have been significantly um, under what we actually got, in large part due to um, migration. Uh, um, should, should New Zealand be more focused on uh, trying to control its population growth or at least plan some sort of level of migration that would give us um, what we are expecting in overall population? Um, again, let me dial back and say this is not climate change commission opinion, but yep, <laughs> I'll yep. share with you a view. Yep. And it all comes from, as you all know, my experience with the Reserve Bank. When we mm. did ride through those periods where official forecasts and our own forecasts constantly underestimates of particularly the very strong net migration flow. And the other thing the bank got wrong was actually the economic impact that that net migration would have because our assumption was always that essentially the addition of the population from net migration uh, would add to demand more than it would add to supply. And it turned out for a period in New Zealand's history, actually the new arrivals were adding as much if not more to supply as they were to demand. And so you've got to be a bit careful when you think about that as to what is the composition of the population change, not just what is the total headcount in the population. So that would be the first. The second thing I would say is that uh, you're absolutely right to observe that what New Zealand does, some of these variables are outside our control. Unless we prohibit New Zealanders from leaving or restrict those who are offshore from returning, and COVID has given us a bit of a filter, but largely we haven't changed New Zealanders' rights to return. We've just changed how complicated and difficult it might be to exercise that right. <laughs> um, but with a million Kiwis living offshore, if the world does become a less hospitable place for foreign nationals everywhere, then we may find New Zealanders less likely to go abroad and those abroad more likely to come home. And that's beyond our control unless we have some pretty restrictive and new policies about rights of leaving, rights of returning. So step that to one side, you come, all right, well, could you then use the visa programs to better control who comes and how long they stay? Um, 
And I think that is a sensible part of policy, but it always has been. That whether it's been used as effectively as it could be or should be, uh, I'm not quite certain. But certainly, you know, you don't have a right as a foreign national to turn up and work in New Zealand. And there are rules about how many can come and how long they can stay and what you have to do to get on the pathway. So the question becomes not so much should we control that, but to what extent should we control that? And then I think you come to the links with climate change, which are the planet doesn't care where you were born. So if New Zealand is absorbing people who would otherwise have lived and admitted somewhere else, then the challenge in nationally determined contribution terms is that we become responsible for their emissions. And the country they left is no longer responsible for their emissions. But that's a relatively small proportion of all global emissions. So if we look at New Zealand, the number of migrants who come in and out of New Zealand or the number of New Zealanders who leave and return makes no difference to the half of our greenhouse gas emissions attributed to the century agriculture. And then if you look at what is driven on a per capita basis, transport emissions are, but they're driven more by mode of transfer, you know, how we choose, what we choose to drive, rather than how many of us are driving. And the decarbonisation of medium and low temperature heat is not a function of how many people are in the country as much as a function of how we generate the energy we need in order to undertake those processes. But, so but, while it is true that a proportion of all our emissions relates directly to the number of us in the country, it is a relatively small proportion of our total emissions. Because there is a chance that um, climate change drives um, migration flows, uh, refugees, and particularly yes. in the South Pacific, um, uh, people yes. who are climate refugees. And, yes. um, you know, we have a, a zero carbon target for 2050. And as you say, some nationally determined contributions and in theory, potentially some liabilities for carbon credits down the track. Uh-huh. Uh, and... Yep. Uh, they could be significant for New Zealand's point of view in terms of um, carbon credits, but also, you know, hitting our zero targets if uh, if we have significant numbers of people come in. Yeah, but let, let's just sort of put that in the balance. So let's say instead of the population pathway that is in the demonstration path of plus one million, we got an extra million over and above that, which would be pretty dramatic. Right? I mean, that would be saying that the population was going to grow by 40% over the next um, 30 years. But let me say that that extra million people might per capita contribute between, say, two and three tonnes. So we might add two or three tonnes of emissions. And our current gross emissions are 80 million tonnes. So what I'm a bit fearful of is people using climate change as a rationale for population and migration controls, partly taking their eye off the real prize here, which is all about gross emissions reduction through behaviour change from us about us. <laughs> um, so we've got, yes, it could be a contributor, but the biggies are how we think about stabilising global warming from greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture and how we get to net zero without planting trees everywhere, which is about reducing fossil fuel use in the economy. And, and there's a bit of a danger that you go, oh, well, we could get there easier or we would face more risk, but for the fact that we should have tighter immigration. And I just, 
I am concerned if you take that path that you are allowing the conversation to get away from the one that really matters, which is how do we reduce these gross emissions from the way we go about our lives and the products that we produce and the services we demand. Great. Thank you very much, Rod. That's, um, we've got to the heart of it, and I think we've covered everything, and I'll, I'll let you get back to it. I really appreciate you giving me the call, and thank yeah, you very much. And, and the, thing, the thing to just keep in mind is, as I said, the Climate Change Commission itself has taken the official estimate, yep. and within that construct, the population increases in the order of 5 to 6 million. Yeah. We didn't specifically model sensitivity to different population pathways. 